it is core to Christianity. It is, it is the song that when we, when we, when we get, I mean, literally everything changes. Uh, there are certain words that it feels like um, they, they become overused, like amazing. Like amazing doesn't mean amazing anymore, right? Like you use it for like C movies. You know, it's like, oh, that was, a de- that was definitely a C movie. Uh, but you're like, oh, it's amazing. It's not amazing. And, and so there are just certain words that just, I mean, I mean, they just, they really have lost their meaning and their weight. And there are certain stories that, that lose that as well. This is, I feel like this is going to be an emotional sermon. Can I just say that out loud? And so let me just free myself a little bit. Um, but yeah, Psalm, Psalm 51, man, it's one of those ones where like it just, it just, it just we just can't afford for it to lose uh, its meaning, its glory, its weight, its beauty. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be um, brought to the forefront of Christianity again, especially for such a time as this. Um, and so we're in this series uh, next week, actually, we're, we're going to take, take almost like a little mini break, if you will, um, and we're going to do a deep dive on suffering, walking with God through pain and suffering. We're going to take about three weeks to do that through the psalm. And so I, I almost feel like my heart is in the future. So I'm trying to pull myself back uh, uh, now because Psalm 51 is, is rich. But this, this series, Hi, I'm, I'm Your Inner World, has, exists so that we could move beneath the surface um, and, and, and dive deep into the control center of our hearts, the Hebraic view of the heart, which should be our view of the heart, is that the heart is the command center of, of life. And so your heart is more than just your emotions. It's where your thoughts are. It's where your will is. And it's also where your conscience is as well, how you perceive things. Is that me? Is that this beard? I just didn't know. Is, you want me to, what do you want me? You want me to stick it up? How do you want me to stick it down? I don't know what to do. <laughs> Amen. Um, and, and so, but this this conscious of which we're going to look at specifically um, today and the conscious. Let me let me give you a long definition of the conscience and then um, a short um, image, well, two short images that I think may be helpful and kind of frame some of what we're talking about um, today. Long definition. Here it goes. The conscious. Uh, the conscious is is the faculty by which. A man apprehends the moral demands of God and, and which causes him pain when he, when he falls short of those demands to be inadequately disciplined. The conscience is a critical awareness that bears witness to the norms and values we recognize and apply. The complex of values with which conscience deals includes not only those we own, but the entire range of values to which we are exposed during life's journey. Consequently, I like this, there, are always a, there is always a sense of struggle in our reflective process. Uh, the witness of conscience makes, makes the presence known, makes its presence known by inducing mental anguish and feelings of guilt when we violate the values we recognize and apply. Conscious all also provides a sense of pleasure when we reflect on conformity to our own value system. So that's the long definition, short definition. Conscious controls how you see the world around you. And that's how you engage with it. Uh, the image associated with it is twofold. It's the compass of your heart. 
And so it'll help you navigate towards north, towards south, towards west, towards east. And I know we don't really use that a lot. We just put it in the GPS and we just go. Um, but if you don't have a GPS, the compass becomes that. It, it, it says, here's where you go. Here's where you shouldn't go. Here's where there's going to be life. Here's where there's going to be pain. It's the it's a navigational system of the heart. Um, when, when the scriptures speak about the conscience, they, they, they speak about it saying that it could be strong. And so if you have a strong conscience, you could do things that other people may not be able to do. Um, and so you, you can listen to Travis Scott's highest in the room and, and it doesn't do anything to you. You're like, oh man, I'm just going to vibe with it. I got a nice beat. Some people can't do that and that's okay. It's understandable. Um, some people may have, have a, have a weak conscience. And so they, they hear stuff like that and it actually picks and prokes at it. And, and that's okay as, as well. Um, they have a, maybe a sensitive conscience, but, but there's another language. So it's not just a sensitive conscience or a strong conscience that the Bible speaks to, but it's also a seared conscience. And, and, and so when you, when you look at the scriptures, a seared conscience is like some, something should, should provoke a response in, in you and it doesn't. Um, so you take a smoke detector, if you will. And um, if a smoke detector functions properly, it responds to fire. And the smoke, the fire produces. But if it's sensitive, let's say that you're just like burning some toast. It's like, it's just going to blare out of nowhere. Um, but, but if it's seared, if it doesn't work, the house could be burning down and, it, and there's no sound. Does that, does that make sense? And so that, that, is, that is a conscience in our hearts that shapes how we live in the world around us. And the conscience provides awareness of guilt and shame. And what I, what I have seen generationally is that we're in this weird space where we talk about shame and guilt, but we don't necessarily use biblical terminology to define it. And so we use cultural terminology and, and I get that. And, you know, um, Brene Brown, I am a fan of that and kind of how she has used that research her Ted talks. It's very, very rich, but, but we, we often talk about the negative aspects of shame and there's truth. There's such a thing as toxic shame. Let me, let me give, you, give you this definition. Chip Dodd, um, he's a, um, a Christian therapist, PhD, beast, has a book, um, The Voice of the Heart. I think it's really, really good. Founded this counseling center, Stage Hill Counseling. He says this about toxic shame. He says, toxic shame is not a, a, a badness. It is a survival skill. If people see me and know me, they'll reject me. And I'm made for relationship. And if I can't belong with you, the message is then, who do I need to become so I can? Check with me. The need for relationship is more powerful than anything else we've been created for. And so what, what, he, what, he, what he gets at is there's this, there's this type of shame where you're aware of who you are, things that you may not have done right, but it doesn't move you to, to do good things or to repent, as Psalm 51 is going to bring out, but it, it really just suffocates life because um, you stop acting authentically. To toxic shame suffocates life. It, it, the, the way that we breathe again is by confessing. It's, it's by repenting, con confession and repentance, biblical language. Uh, they're, they're, they're rich and they help us to, to breathe again. Here, here's, wh here's what I've seen though, um, culturally, but then also in, in, in a Christian space. Like we make it very difficult to confess and repent. Like one, one of the ways we make it difficult is we lack examples of people like actually doing it. So there's a lack of healthy examples of people confessing and repenting when their conscience rightfully convicts them. 
because we lack examples. Also, there, there's this sense where, where we, we minimize sin. Like there's a tendency in all of us to maximize the sin of others and minimize the sin of self. And so essentially we just, it's not that bad. What I need to confess, <laughs> confess, nothing, it's not that. We're all broken. We're all imperfect people. So confess, no, that's like, so 1942, that was that, you know, that's a system over there. That's not where we are now because everybody's broken. And if everybody's broken, nobody's broken. And so that, that whole mindset is weird, but we do it. We minimize, we, we, we minimize sin. The other thing is we, so, so we lack examples. We minimize sin. But then also we have like, we've, we've had bad experiences where people have responded poorly to us when we've confessed. Yeah. Like, have you, have you ever been sharing, like pouring out your soul with somebody and then they're like, oh my, they give you that stank face. Like, you're like, is that my breath? And maybe it's my breath. Cause I hope it's not what I said. Cause if it's what I said, I'm never going to share anything with you again. Right. You know, like, you know, am I lying? You've had those experiences where it's like you pour out your soul and somebody throws it back in your face. And you're like, that's, that didn't work. Not going to do that again. And unfortunately, we, we relate to God like that. And so we just, don't, we just don't confess to him either. We don't confess to anybody. And so we stay in this prison of shame, suffocating, dying slowly. And you know what's fascinating? Everybody can see it, though. Like, so it creates this illusion of freedom, but everybody can see what's really going on, at least those who are really close to you. And so, 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 so really, the, the, goal, the goal of this is to give us a pathway to freedom through confession and repentance so we could breathe again. That's, I mean, I, I, I've, I've spent much time trying to figure out a clear and clever way to communicate. And I just, uh, it's a, so it's going to feel like some rambling. And I'm cool with that. So I hope you're cool with that too. Uh, because there's just so much richness in Psalm 51. But, but as we walk through just some of the layered um, beauty here, like, man, the prayers that we would have a pathway to confession, repentance, so we could breathe again. We need to understand the nature of it. What does it actually mean? What does it actually look like? What should it produce? And so that actually will be a flow of our time as well as we unpack the dynamics of confession and repentance so that we can breathe again. And I mean that. Please don't. You know, I've heard Psalm 51 before me. All right. Don't do that. Like dial in. Hopefully, um, God will speak to us as he already has. Let me read it all the way through and then we'll, we'll take it bit by bit. Psalm 51. Um, I'm actually going to read the heading. The heading matters. Uh, Psalm 51. Uh, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Can you just imagine some of your deepest, darkest moments being turned into a song? Isn't that weird? But we actually like music like that, right? Selena Gomez just released this song, and like, yeah, it's just killing Justin Bieber. And like, but we liked it. We're like, oh, man, thank you for pouring out your soul. And so God literally is using one of the deepest, darkest moments of David's life to lead us. Thank you, Lord. First uh, one, it reads like this. Have mercy on me, O God, uh, according to your steadfast love, uh, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And I've done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you, you God, may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born this way. Behold, you, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Urge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, no. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in Zion, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. All right, let's get to work. There's a, there's a lot here. So much. We're not, I mean, we can't. I mean, literally, every, every verse is, I mean, it's worth a sermon. It's worth a day of just meditating on. Like, there's just, there's just so much rich theological truth that just comes out of it. It literally constructs how we relate to God in confession and repentance. Uh, but before we, we start to get at the nature of that, like, you know, like what it, what it looks like, um, relation to God, what it looks like in relation to us. And, and then how do we, how do we keep doing it? And, and I'm close with some thoughts before we, before we get there. Um, let me just frame what's happening here. Cause like I've read, I mean, you know, if you've been, how many people have been Christian more than five years out of curiosity? Don't raise your hand. Cause then it's awkward. Cause the people next to you are going to be, don't, don't do what I do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Let's, do I say amen? Um, but you've probably heard this if you've been a Christian longer than five years. Um, and, and you just got, there's just certain things that you just become so familiar with. He's like, I kind of know that. And man, I just spending a week in Psalm 51 has got me like brooding. You know, I'm like brooding. I'm like that dude is brooding everywhere now. Um, but man, like there's just some stuff that just was absolutely jarring. Um, like as I, as, I, as I read this. And so let me, just, let me just invite you to what caused me to brood a little bit. Is that fair? Awesome. So notice the, the title of this, right? This is to be sung in worship services everywhere for the people of God. David's sin. That's crazy. That your sin can lead to somebody singing praises to God. Only if it's confessed and repented of. That's what it gets at. And so not to hide sin, but to bring it to the light. So that was jarring uh, to me from the beginning. Furthermore, often when we look at Psalm 51, we see grace, we should, full of rich grace. Create in me a clean heart. Don't cast your face from me. 
cast your face away from my sin. Oh, you're abundant in mercy, steadfast. So it's, 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 it's rich grace that David's experiencing because he's, he's actually confessing. He's, he's breathing again. He's not silent. Psalm 32, it talks about what happens when we're silent. He's like, when I, was, when I hid my sin, when I was silent, my bones wasted away. I died from the inside out. Hi, I'm your inner world. And I was dying when sin was there and I didn't speak on it. He's not silent. This isn't a psalm of David's silence. So there's grace that was met with him when he, when he, started, when he started speaking. But the grace didn't start when David started confessing. No, no, no. This is saturated with grace. But the grace wasn't when God was extending forgiveness per se. It was when he was exposing brokenness and removing David's hiding places. Let me explain. This whole scene is a story in David's life where David, King David, one with the harp and the flute, that's a guitar, so one with the harp, King David making songs, dancing undignified, loving Jesus, pursuing him. King David had a hiccup in his life, if you will, huge hiccup where essentially one of his mighty men, one of those that he would go to war with, one of his soldiers, his friends, he sinned against them. And here's how he sinned against them. He saw, he saw his wife, and his wife was, you know, bathing on the rooftop, and, and, and he was like, man, she, she's, she's naked out there. And, and so he was like, I have this great idea. I am going to take her. And so he took her. He used his power to abuse her. He objectified her. He abused her. Sad. Wicked David. Had sex with her. She got pregnant. He's like, oh, snap. (laughs) Has this great plan. He's like, I'm going to bring my friend, my mighty man of valor, Uriah, back home. And I'm going to get him drunk so that he could have sex with his wife. And then she'll think it's his child. So even if he comes out looking like redheaded baby, he's like, I don't know what happened. Maybe like it skipped the gene. So so this was his plan to get his his, his good friend drunk so that he could go have sex with his wife and David would be scot-free in the clear. Now, that plan didn't work. And what we started to see is multiple times David tried to get him drunk. And what we saw was that Uriah was a better man drunk than David was sober. He was like, yo, like, how can I have sex with my wife and enjoy this intimacy that's good, that's beautiful, it's powerful, while my friends are on the front line dying? I can't do that. David's like, all right, well, you don't, you, you don't want it the easy way. I got another plan. And so he writes this letter. Um, he gives it to Uriah. Uriah gives it to his general. And the letter said, yo, put Uriah on the front lines. And when the fighting is the fiercest, you pull away. And then Uriah is going to die. So Uriah is literally carrying his own death warrant. And you know what happens? The general sees this. He doesn't stop because injustice is contagious. doesn't stop. And he does it. Uriah dies. And then David, wicked David, grabs Bathsheba as she's mourning the loss of her husband. And he takes her as his wife and starts comforting her. And he thinks he's in the clear. He's living the dream. I'm good. No one would ever know. I'm the king. Got power. And what happens is God sees all. God knows all. And God in mercy sends Nathan, a prophet. And Nathan tells him the story. And David starts getting angry at the story. This is 2 Samuel. 
And he was like, whoever, whoever did this, they deserve to die and they must return what was stolen fourfold. And Nathan says, David, you are that man. And David, is, he's, he's just floored. He's floored. But you know what? It leads him to repentance. You see what I mean? That's grace. The grace of God wasn't just, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to expose you and it remove the hiding places so that I can forgive you. Here's, what that, here's, here's why that's jarring to me. And, and here's, let me just apply that and, and, and then say one more thing that just kind of just jarred me and then pick this text apart a little bit more. All of us need a Nathan. No exemptions. All of us need a Nathan in our lives who could come in and be like, my dude, you are that man. That's one. The second part of that is some of us don't live lives that invite people to be Nathanly. So, so we're, we're so adverse to correction that if somebody comes up, you're like, you're just hating. You're hating. You're hating. And it's like, no, my dude, you're, you're in sin. Let's, let's deal with this. Like, there's brokenness there. Let's, let's, let's wrestle because there's grace to be found if we expose and if we remove the hiding space. Some of us don't live lives that invite people being Nathanly, and you know who you are. Can't nobody tell you Nathan. You see the pun there? Uh, so, so, so I like that, yeah. I practiced that one, right? All of us need a Nathan. Some of us don't live lives that invite people being Nathan Lee. And, 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 and here's the last thing, the thing that really jarred me. Some of us need to be more Nathan Lee because we, we are wired that way. Um, let me say, I am not wired that way. I, I like conflict. I really do. Um, but I like conflict when it comes to me. Now I'm like, all right, let's go. Fight or flight, I'm a fight. That's my natural tendency. But I'm not just going to go out and look for conflict. That's just not the way I'm wired. Like I will avoid that and I will look for the path of least resistance. I'm not that way. You know, our, our church has actually suffered because of that. Because I'm more of that chill guy. It'll just kind of work itself out in the, in the future. And, yeah, and so people who are more Nathanly in their disposition and their wiring, they don't feel the freedom to step into that. And if you are that, let me just free you. We need you as a body. We need you. That's why God has given diversity to the body, not just ethnically or economically, but, but with giftedness. We need you to step into that sacred space of saying you are that man. Now, that travels best and furthest through the context of relationship, amen. But truth is truth. So we need you. We need you. So that was jarring to me because I'm like, like, I know I have to be more like this, but more than that, I need to create a space where we could be more like this. And so if, if you are geared to be more naive, and I don't mean that like, you know, you just keep it real, but you're really like rude, not that person. Um, you know what I mean? You know, I'm talking about like that person who's like, you just have a strong sense of truth. Your conscious like moves towards truth. Like, man, we, we, we desperately need you. Um, so that, that was jarring to me. Furthermore, what was drawn to me is just like all of this revolves around relationship. Notice, notice all of his requests. 
have mercy on me. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me for sin. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Renew me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Deliver me. Open my lips. Do good. Build up. All of it revolves around relationship. Here's what's fascinating. The potential threat of losing the relationship was more terrifying and important to David than the potential threat of losing his reputation. The relationship mattered more than his reputation. And thus, he was like, God, like, I need you to do something. Who cares who sees? Who care to have this pristine image while I'm dying inside and while there's distance between us? Who cares? If you're married, you know that. I don't want to just go and look the part. Man, one of my, this is extra. One of my closest friends in life, when he was ordaining me, he looked me in the face and he was like, man, Muchi, you need to know that you and Diamond look the part. Not just because you're light-skinned and we have colorism, amen. But, you know, you always smile and she can sing. You got three kids and they're beautiful too. You look the part. So people aren't going to ask you the hard questions. You have to invite that because you are always going to look like you're fine. James Roberson, pastor in New York, close friend. If you're married, you, know, you just don't want to look the part. You want to be it. I want to just go out and smile and everybody's like, oh, relationship goals. No. You want to experience something true that bleeds over into what's expressed. You, you want authenticity. That is the currency of our day. What is real, what is true. And David is like, man, I could care less about this reputation. God, I need you. All of it revolves around relationship. Last thing that was jarring to me. And then bits of confession. When you wrong somebody and you know it, you know what the tendency is? It's to stay away. It's to stay away. Yet, for David, the relationship was so valuable that he moved closer to the one he wronged. So let's, let's do some work. That's... That's one part of that. The other aspect of that is this. There was such security based on who God is that it created this level of confidence to confess. The assurance of pardon provides courage for confession. He knew who he was talking to. He knew who he wronged. And he knew the one he wronged wanted to make it right, more right than he did. The assurance of pardon provides the courage for confession. All of that just jarred me. But the jarring continues. Look at the nature of this confession and, and, and his descriptions and his requests. That's what we're going to look at in the our time, his descriptions and his requests and what they say about God and what they say about how he sees himself. Uh, verse 1, have, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
Then you jump down to the to the to the to the to the end of 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, that which you delight in, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise that. Notice, notice, notice his descriptions of God. He he's saying, God, you have this ocean you will this atlantic ocean of mercy and love that that means you, it's it's width is uncontainable its depth is undiscoverable one of the scariest places in all of the world is the ocean right because we don't know what's down there man i saw this one article where this like shark it's like 13 feet got its head bit i'm like what bites the head of a 13 foot shark right the kraken all right like so we don't know what's down there the depths keep going. And he's like, your, 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 your love, Paul's going to pick this up in Ephesians. Your, your love is like an ocean. There's the whiff, we can't, we can't stretch it out. And, and there's depth that we still don't even know. You see how he's describing? Do you see the request? He's like, make me clean in light of that. He, he's, he's leaning on, on the character of God. And he's telling us something. God's willingness to forgive is not tied to my worthiness to receive it. If that could just sit on us, because that is not normal. Instinctively, when we mess up, and then there's this sense of maybe, maybe you'll receive me, maybe this could be right again. What we do is we try to put our best foot forward. So we got to make sure that all of our syntax is good. So I'm going to butter you up before I say I'm sorry so that you have no reason not to forgive me. You know, I'm going to bring all the flowers in the world. If you're like me, I'm going to do all the dishes I can. You know what I mean? I, I already have the bartering down. And what I need to make myself more worthy so that you could accept me. And what he said, especially at the end, you don't delight in any of that. Just a broken, contrite heart. Furthermore, it says God doesn't turn away the heart that says, here I am. I like that. God takes us as we are where we are. And we need that. If I could continue, this isn't partial forgiveness that, that David is asking for. Because God doesn't give it. God gives complete forgiveness. He says, wash me clean, whiter than snow, pristine, pure, spotless, blameless. Make me new is what he means. I love God. That's, so, the, so the nature of confession is tied to the goodness and power of God his willingness to forgive and his ability. Um, I'm running out of time. Let me, let me, let me move towards uh, how the descriptions and requests, what they say about David. Verse nine. Uh, yeah. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I said earlier, what was jarring is how it revolves around relationship. But notice the request. The, the request isn't just forgive me for what I did. It's transform me so I do stuff differently. You see that? 
he's not he's not just asking for forgiveness if you will he's seeking the lord for restoration for transformation for renewal that's a difference that matters he's not just absolve me he's transform me make me new make me different he's repenting we have this view of repentance that's merely just you just stop doing bad that's repent. Just stop, right? You know, it's kind of like we're dogs or something. Don't do that, Gambit. That's my dog's name. I want to change it to Odin, uh, but I get outvoted regularly in my house, and it's a semi-democracy. Hashtag America, all right? <laughs> so he's not. That was too much. Um, and so he, he, he's not like, j- just stop. That's not, that's not what he's doing. He's not just saying stop. He's saying, I want to be able to do some stuff. The stuff he wants to be able to do is not based on how he sees life, but it's based on how God sees life. We, we know this because all throughout the scripture, when he is repenting, when he is confessing, he is saying, it's according to your sight, oh God. I've done evil according to your sight, not according to my eyes, but according to how you see things. And so to do right isn't going to be what's in my eyes. It's going to be according to how you see right. You track it with me. He's saying, God, I want the compass, I want my conscience, my worldview to be transformed by you, not me. I want you to lead me and guide me in truth. Now, that matters because to to one degree, the awareness of truth is a prerequisite for conviction, right? You actually have to know that you've done wrong to some degree to be able to repent from wrong. The beauty of Nathan, we need you if you're Nathan Lee, you're that man, all right? But in another way, once you start repenting, once you start turning, what's guiding and what's leading is truth. Truth is leading our hearts, and it's always going to lead our hearts towards life. And so what we see is this. Repentance isn't just turning from. It's turning towards. That's repentance. Biblical repentance is turning from and turning towards. But the order actually matters too. So so it's actually reversed in order. It's Turning from by turning towards. Here's what I mean when I say that. I have discovered in the year 2019 that I am part of the 75% of all African Americans. I am lactose intolerant-ish. All right? And so I put that ish there because I have African DNA, so I got mutant insides, all right? So I could just bear stuff a little bit differently. Now, in these moments where I've realized that I'm truly lactose intolerant-ish. It's, it's, it's in the after effect of, of taking the milk. Not, I, you know, I usually drink almond milk, so it's really like salty donut is a vice for me. Uh, you know, cheese and Cabernet is life, you know what I mean? And so can't be at Lan Yap no more. And, and so it's just like, it's just this weird thing. And vegan cheese isn't real cheese. Like that junk was made from a sunflower or something, you know what I mean? And it's like, and I like real cheese. You put cheese on everything, so there's no more nachos. Anybody else in here lactose? Amen. You can raise your hand for that one so I can identify. Like, I just feel you because I wasn't like this my whole life. Now, there are moments. Maybe I was and I just didn't realize it. There are moments, yo, where like literally, and one of them was last night. Diamond went to Costco. She got this caramel corn, you know, that bag of like mixed corn. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like Garrett's. And so she got this huge bag of corn, and I looked at it, yo. And it was ghost road, so I was watching the game, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take this risk. You know what I mean? I'm going to risk it. Hey, you know those moments where you look at it, and you know what's coming, but you're like, it's worth the risk. And so it was worth it in the moment, but it wasn't after the fact. 
It was not. It really wasn't. Um, or this morning. But in that moment, the consequences, yo, like they weren't bad enough to stop me from eating that caramel cheddar corn. You try, does that make sense? That's real life. Most of us calculate. We're like, man, ah, I, I, I'll take that consequence. I, do, I see it in my kids all the time. I'm going to take that risk, right? Don't you do that? You count the cost and you're like, if you're willing to endure the consequence, you're like, let's go, get busy. And so in a very real sense, just not wanting certain consequences isn't enough to make you do what's right. I tell Noah all the time, I had to tell him this two days ago, I was like, Noah, you must love what's right more than you fear what happens when you do what's wrong. It's loving what's right. It's loving what's true. It's loving what's beautiful more than the consequences of what's wrong. That's why it's turning from by turning towards. So it's I'm turning towards God. I'm seeing him as true. I'm seeing him as beautiful. I'm seeing him as good. And it is his goodness that leads me to repentance, to turn from what's wrong. Not merely just the consequences of what I mess up in those 2 a.m. moments again where shame is attacking me. I'm being bombarded by my thoughts. No, that's not enough. It's not strong enough. Your heart is too strong for that. You need an expansive vision of the goodness of of God. Repenting is turning from, by turning towards. Closing thoughts of what we do and what happens when we do it. These are just implications. First implication is 12 through 15. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And, O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is, this is the title of this psalm. He's received grace and now in the receiving of grace, he's delighting in sharing it and showing it. Notice what's happening here. He's saying, this thing I was marked by, this sin that tried to define me, is actually going to be a doorway to greater grace for others. This is John 4, woman at the well. That woman that everybody talked about because she had multiple husbands. And and Jesus is like, I'm going to heal you from the inside out. New water, never thirst again. She's like, give it to me because I don't want to come back here. I don't want people to talk about me. And he's like, no, no, no. It's going to do more than that. It's going to transform you and refresh you and give you a new spring. And she starts to drink from this living water. And she leaves her jar and she goes back into the town of people who would talk about her. And she says, Come and see a man who told me everything about me. Could he be the Christ? Because once you've experienced true grace from the inside out, you're free. And then you go out and you delight to share it and show it to others. Those who know grace delight in showing and sharing another implication. (sighs) Against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in what's your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Those who never repent will always leave a trail of bodies, eventually their own. You could tell when someone doesn't know how to confess and repent. There's always a gap in the relationship. Nobody can get close to that person. 
Because if they're interacting with a fraud, intimacy is severed. That's relationships 101. And what you see is that may happen in our everyday experience of the here and now, but if we live life like that, absence of repentance, that will carry on into eternity where we're separated from God forever. And he'll be right to say it. Pure in his judgments, trails of bodies eventually are own. But then the last bit, those who confess and repent are regularly free. Those who confess and repent regularly are free. Romans 8, 1, 2 says this, behold, uh, excuse me, there, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin and death, for the law of sin of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin of death. So, so, so here's what he's saying. The accusation of sin and shame on our conscience is you are something. You are this. Not just you've done something, but you are something. And, and the freedom is this. Yeah, you're right, but I'm different. You see what I'm saying? It's like, what's the accusation anymore? It's the, well, you're right. I, 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 I am that to some degree, but I'm different now. The main new spirit of life. So there's no more accusations because the accusations of sin lead to condemnation. You are something, you've done something, now you deserve something. Where's the condemnation now? For my sin. It's nailed to a cross with Jesus who says, you know what? They were something, they did do something, and they did deserve something. But you know what? Instead of them dying, I'm going to die, which is the gospel. That Jesus doesn't just die for us, he dies instead of us. That's the gospel. His life for mine. My life for his. So where's the condemnation? You know that Moochie guy, he's kind of, yeah, you're right, but you know what? I'm free. What's up? Man, you know what you did? You know what? Yeah, you're right, but I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. What's good? Are you track? Like, and, and so there's a, there's a different pep in your step when you're able to own the fact that you're not perfect, but you don't sit there as if it's some banner to just be broken and wicked, but you move forward in holiness saying, you know what? You're right, but God got me, and part of God has, having me is me now pursuing him in holiness. Holiness in the scriptures is not meant to be trivialized. It's always like, oh, we got this repentance, we can just do whatever. But it's, it's meant to be centralized as a pathway to knowing God. That's how I know what to confess and repent from. And that's how I keep going after him. Those who confess and repent regularly are free. You could breathe again, yeah. You could breathe again. And that's what I want for you. I want us to breathe again. And so I'm going to pray. And we are going to take communion and we are going to sing. And I want it to be a loud song because we are singing, because we are free. And if you say, what do I have to repent from? I love how David said, yo, I was born in this thing. Original sin is a real deal. Like, like I came out my mom lying and stealing and cheating and being manipulating and, and bartering to try to make relationships work. Yo, I killed my best friend. All of us, all of us, all of us. All of us have stuff to repent from, and that should humble us all. It should cause us to be masters of repentance 
not masters at inspecting sin, but just masters of repentance. And so if you say, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I have to repent from, well, you sinned against the Lord in the way that you treated people this week. When David was caught, he's like, yo, against you and you alone have I sinned, even though I killed one of my best friends. And so I pray. Pastor Devin's going to lead us in communion. And we could sing and repent. And we'll be back to dismiss. I want to actually pray a song, if that's fair. We've talked about it. So let me pray this song. (laughs) Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave, you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. Don't be stubborn, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or will not stay near. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. God, would we learn that language, please? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.